begin? Well, we believe that the greatest opportunity afforded each of us in this room or whether you're online and all humans is the invitation by our creator God Almighty to be restored to his wonder-filled design and then as if there needed to be more, he invites us into the co-creating with him. We are allowed to live in the right now relationship with the creator. Can you imagine that? I mean, think about that. I mean, the... Right now, we are in the presence of God, and he is presencing with us. In this, though, we're we're allowed this grand opportunity to invite others, others, into this same relationship. We have not only been invited to do that, we've been granted and given authority to do that. Isn't that incredible? We could stop here. Okay, you know better about me, (laughs) right? We at Ipsy Free simply state it this way. We get to love God, love all people, and follow Jesus together. Maybe you're new and you have a question or two about Jesus, the Bible, God, the community, gathering here in this space or maybe in other spaces, and seeking ways to show and share Jesus, if you do, and we really want you to take us up on this. If you do, we invite you into a conversation to explore any of these topics. Uh, indicate your interest on the connection card. That thing that maybe you got when you came in, you go, I, I'd never fill this thing out, right? I, I don't see the reason. But you have all of these questions. You have, you have a conversation you want to continue, and it can't happen on your own. It's never meant to be alone. So uh, you can invite me for coffee. I'd love that. And a nice conversation. Honest, you can control the whole thing. I just want to drink the coffee. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, I want to thank you for praying for the co-labor, praying the co-laborers prayer last week for me and for many others. If you did it, we felt it. It becomes real. It's, it's the reality we live in. I, I was using Paul's outlines from Ephesians on my prayer list, and it's just incredible. If you're not familiar with this prayer tool that we gave you last week, take a listen and a look online from last week's message. Uh, just in this whole series of I'm grateful for a praying, ch- I am, but I am grateful for a praying church who takes seriously the invitation to co-labor and partner for and in the kingdom seriously. Seriously. As Kevin was reading the passage a few minutes ago, you may have been wondering, like, what? He's saying hello to, what, what in the world, where are we going with all this? Why is he taking these last pa- this last page of Paul's uh, letter to the Romans and reading it through these la- last three weeks? It's this. These are people that were co-laboring with Jesus, with Paul, about Jesus and the kingdom, and he has a list of people that he's grateful for. Now, oftentimes we find ourselves uh, grateful for the things we have, our cars, our homes, our coffee, our, you know, all these things. I, I think Paul is trying to, trying to tell us something. Jesus definitely was. It's not about the things, it's about the who who we get to spend it with, who we have the opportunity to be with. And not only that, they must have been in close proximity. 
no holy kissing after the service, but, you know, they were, had to have been in close proximity. It, it's just an incredible thing. These people aren't just people that worked out at the gym and he saw from a distance or worked in the North Place and worked, worked out. He, these were people that shared a common interest, and the common interest was Jesus and bringing his kingdom to bear and to restore those places and spaces that were separated, that are separated by sin and having a, a right now relationship with him. I mean, this is just incredible stuff. There is no other religion that has the same promise, the same delivering system at all. As we said, the women and men were, Paul listed, are to greet or co-laborers with and for Jesus. They were people who lived and loved, uh, lived the life and love of Jesus. And they were part of his life. Paul's greetings to these wonderful women go be, wonderful women and men go beyond a casual hello, as I said, but to a deep love for one another born out of a life given to Jesus to share the love that totally transformed them. Now let's just talk about this love that we just sang about and that is captured, I think, even in this last page with no word about love, but we know that it's captured there. Paul, who was known as Saul prior to his great transformation, is a grand example he pursued those who followed Jesus and proclaimed, proclaimed Jesus as Lord and Savior. I mean, before he's transformed by the love. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees in the Jewish, Jewish sect, taught by one of the best Jewish rabbis at the time, Gamaliel. He, he pursued those he is now part of and grateful for. Can you imagine? I mean, he wanted to jail them and kill them, right? He's at the foot of Saul, of the foot at Stephen's uh, killing, martyrdom, right? I mean, he's holding the coats, he's watching them, and yet now he's on the inside, almost kind of uh, single-handedly directing this work. Yeah, pretty much single-handedly outside of Jesus, directing this work towards the Gentiles. Uh, What kind of love transforms in this way? I mean, he knows the love is so dramatic that he doesn't stay in his prideful place as a Pharisee. He actually states in one of his letters that he is the chief of sinners, needing God's grace, mercy, and love. Uh, by the way, that's, that's most of us. We come to that place eventually in our journey as we journey with him because we realize it can't be anybody worse than we are. These women and men Paul is greeting at the end of the Romans letter are not just people he met at a business luncheon and wants to stay connected to in LinkedIn. Right? These are people who wear the name of Jesus and bear the name of Jesus, whether in change or taking a letter or hospitality, of which we're going to talk about now. See, hospitality is just key, right, to this whole thing about Jesus. It's just central to, I think, the march of, of the kingdom making its way into our lives and other people's lives. We kind of have this idea about hospitality. We'll get to it in a second. Yet, but Paul knows these people intimately. He did not always. I mean, think about this. Where would the message of Jesus be without the company of people who showed hospitality to Jesus himself, right? To Paul. All of these people just welcomed them 
They became first people of peace. We've talked about that a little bit. But then they kind of said, hey, our home can be a launch pad, a beachfront for whatever you need. They're a list of fellow followers of Jesus scribed into the letter of Romans forever. Uh, That's probably where I would want my name, somewhere like that, if that's possible. A few months ago, we spent several weeks in a message series called The Table, uncovering and discovering the hospitality as practiced as a practice of Jesus for those who follow him. In that series, we discovered, biblically speaking, hospitality is not how well you can set your table for your family gathering that's coming up in a few weeks or maybe in a couple weeks. It's not how good your house looks, how well lit or how many candles or anything like that. It actually has to do with this word we find in the text. Biblical hospitality is from the Greek word philoxenia. It's probably been pronounced wrong, but that'll help you because it's on the screen. Love of a stranger. Not the love of your family members. Not the love of those people that you have to love whether you want to love them or not. Right? We are most familiar with this word, though, from its opposite, xenophobia, the fear of a stranger. Of which, by the way, our culture does a pretty good job, our world does a pretty good job, and the devil does a good, pretty good job of really kind of cultivating within us, if you haven't figured that out. And some of us have bought in wholeheartedly. We have deep suspicions that are ingrained into our, our minds and are lived out in our bodies. But it's just like God to send Jesus in his fullness to rewire, to rewrite, and reframe our minds about those who've been created in his image, valued and loved by him. We are being formed intentionally by the world and the devil, as I said, to capture our fleshly fears that are brought into bondage. And we assume it's healthy and right. Uh, Friends, we are all the time contending with what we're bringing in, and we should, because it distorts the reality of the Jesus kingdom we're compelled and desire to bring in. There's this healthy caution and then there's this unreasonable distortion. I think it's like for some people when we have this unhealthy distortion, we don't even see that they're caught in a snowstorm they can't even see their way out of and we don't even give them a line to help them out because we're, we're afraid of them. They're so caught in untruth that, we, that they deserve. Yep, I use that word, just like you should and ought earlier. Deserve and desire the compassion and truth that Jesus could give through you. Because of the way you set your table, the way you think about life, the way you do life. Maybe the way I do life. We're not so right and rich to embrace them into something that's transformative and loving. What we learn is that Jesus demonstrates to us a hospitality is a divine welcome into the grace of God. Not, it has less to do about a meal and more to do about a welcome, an invitation, a hey, come be with me, or as we were praying earlier, Francis said, a belonging. Absolutely correct. So in your Bibles, if you'll turn to Acts 28, we're not going to stay in Romans 16, but Acts 28, we'll be looking at first 10 verses, but a little backdrop as we uh, get to that spot. 
Paul was transformed by, as we said, a dramatic encounter with Jesus. He, uh, his, he's, he was loved, and the invitation was so compelling that he is, he is changed. This invitation uh, led Paul to be the bridge to the Gentiles, out of the Jewish sect, out of where he was. It's kind of like for us who maybe know a little bit of our history as Methodist or Wesleyan upbringing. It's kind of like uh, John Wesley, kind of, not quite, John Wesley creating inside, inside the uh, Church of England this movement called the Methodist in order to get at the heart and the holiness of God. Now, that's what, that's what Paul kind of did. You know, for the Gentiles, there was already, already this messianic, this messianic uh, movement for the Jews that were inside. They were already there. But he began to work. And this new work to the Gentiles led Paul on three different journeys to be an evangelist for Jesus to the Gentiles. The Jewish sect Paul came from were not happy about this new message. They never were, uh, many of them. And that Jesus loved the Gentiles as well as them and adopting them into the family. So let me give you an example of maybe, maybe this will strike home. It'd be like, it'd be like you thought you were going to inherit a large sum of money, maybe a million dollars. Let's make it something substantive. When grandpa and grandma die, and you thought they only had enough money for each one of their direct heirs. But grandpa and grandma have a change of heart. They realize their whole community needs a million dollars each. And so instead of just offering you the million dollars, they open up the, the bank, the trust, and when they die, that everybody in the community gets a million dollars. You don't realize, though, that all along, you're the, you're the, you get all of the riches you were going to get before and are thinking that everything that grandpa and grandma have opened up the coffers to the community is going to be... Uh, well, you know, just a little bit less than you anticipated. A little bit less than you desired. The question is, would that make you, if you did not know the details of the will or the trust or whatever, would that make you a little kind of miffed? Like, really? Grandpa, Grandpa, you told me I was going to get a million dollars. Right? You said, look, we, we want to, and we want you to do well by it, but we're going to give this to you, but you don't know the other details. But all along, this has been a part of their plan. We might just be a little miffed too, just a little upset. Now, some of us, oh, we're above that. Well, maybe, maybe not. Because of those who were upset, so upset, they wanted to shut down the message of Jesus being shared, and especially the leaders proclaiming the new rules to the relationship with God and with Jesus, what Jesus had done. The religious rulers caused a stir, and now Paul was under house arrest uh, for multiple reasons. We're not getting into and he was on his way to Rome to talk to not just anybody, but the man, Caesar, right? All part of God's plan. He knew this. And they've been traveling. Well, we're going to hop in in 28. They've been traveling by boat to get to Rome. They're caught in a storm. And now they're washed up on shore of this little island called Malta. And this is where we pick up the story. But this first is what I want to tell you. Hospitality is practical. It is practical. Verse uh, chapter 28, verse 1 and 2 says, Once safely on the shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. 
They built a fire and welcomed all of us because it was rainy and cold. The other day, there was a knock on our door. Our neighbor and friend, Michelle, asked if we had a spare lawn bag. Uh, They were raking leaves and needed one more bag to finish up their task. Uh, Kathleen said, "By, by all means, and retrieved the bag from our garage and gave it to her happily. There are and have been many other opportunities through the years, whether it's been a long bag or sharing food back and forth or other other things. Uh, a few weeks back, I, I got a flat tire late, late one night after a meeting, heading home. As I worked to get the lug nuts loose, a gentleman piled out of the car, uh, car that had pulled up next to my vehicle and asked, it if, asked me if I needed any help. And I told him I, I couldn't get the last lug nut loose. It would just tighten down uh, too much, and to be honest, I've broken off lug nuts before, or the bolts before, and I was a little, <laughs> little fearful of just wrenching on it. But he took it upon himself. He stopped. said, if you don't mind, I'll give it a try. I said, fine. Uh, he loosened it. Now, that was wonderful. That was just great, because I thought, I'm, I'm good. I have the spare. I can change it. Now I get the jack out. I began to put the jack underneath the, the truck, and I don't know if you realize this, in some of your vehicles, they don't make a jack tall enough to get your truck off the ground. Who knew, right? Another young man, I'll call him young because he's younger than I, came by and said, he looked at it, he's like, hey, you need a block of wood or something. I'm like, yeah, I think so. But he just walked away. Um, and he had a little dog with him and all that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, he's, he's walked off that way, but I think his apartment, it, it seemed like he was going to his apartment here. And he walked around. He finally made it all the way back, and he had this paving block. He said, like, he said, here, here's a paving block. You can put your jack on. Good. Where, where did I take it back? No, I'll just leave it there. <laughs> I'll put it back. I was like, dude, Thanks. Friends, hospitality comes in many different forms and shapes. It's not all about a meal. And it's not all about giving hospitality. Sometimes it's in the place and the space of giving, getting or receiving hospitality, right? Hospitality is a grace to be given and received. Paul and his shipmates washed up on shore, not sure where they were. Islanders came out to show them unusual kindness. This is just a... Just an interesting word, to be really honest, because we're not sure what it ties itself to. It may tie itself to the latter part of the text that we'll get to. They, they become guests on this little island. And what we'll see is that hospitality is both given and received. Your neighbor, coworker, friend, family member needs something. We give it, don't we? I mean, we, we, we give what we have, what we can whether it be food, water, refrigerator space, meal taken, or a meal with, which is grand, by the way, for most people. These are not unusual kindnesses, or are they? Really, are they? Dr. Luke states that the islanders showed unusual kindness, as we said. We're not sure what that really means. The common practice 
of this part of the world, and we know this is this hospitality, just kind of, it dripped with hospitality, even towards their enemies. So we're not sure exactly what happens, but maybe it's towards the end. So let me ask you this, and you can jot this down on your notes if you have them. In what ways have you been shown hospitality this week? You've been invited in, or you have, yeah, that you've been invited in. Somebody has said, hey, here's something I want to give to you, or I want to help you. This divine, if you will, this opportunity to be, to be given to, not to just give. As we turn our attention back to Acts 28, we also see in verses 7 through 10 that hospitality is sacrificial. The islanders' generosity was was unusual kindness extended beyond what they would have normally required, I guess. So it states in Acts 28, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us into his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. I don't know what happened after the three days. I don't know. But this is on the screen. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. That's not the point that I want to point out. But this, they honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with supplies we needed. So they ordered hot and now pizza from Little Caesars around the corner, and Paul and his shipmates had a great meal on that first night around a campfire. But what they did next was incredible. These islanders took these people from the shipwreck for over, you'll find this in verse 11, and took them in for three months. They took care of them. The, 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 you know, the island, island's chief took them in for three, but they took care of them for three months. This is sacrificial hospitality that was shown to Paul and the shipmates. Right? This is over and beyond what we would expect or even imagine, potentially. It could be for somebody like for you, somebody who opens their home to agree weekly and then gives your refrigerator rights to anything in your house. I mean, we think of that, oh, that's just no, that's no big deal. I think it is. And think about it. Dwell on it a little bit. Or maybe allows them allows you the use of their car as long as you need it. You think that puts them in a bind? Potentially. At places, or maybe even further, gives a car away to somebody who needs it. Uh, buying groceries, not just once, but rhythmically, ri- religiously, because they know that this family needs it. Uh, well, how about this? Stepping into spaces when somebody's sick to bring them, bring them comfort and help them to get well. How about paying books for a college student or even further, a seminary student? I like that one. The list can go on, friends, but some of you have been graced in this sacrificial way, right? Hospitality is this opportunity to have a relationship. So let me ask you this question. When have you or your family received sacrificial hospitality? Think about that. Write it down. When our, when our family was in transition from one ministry, ministry location to another, Kathy and I, we, we sold our house and we were in limbo. Uh, and some friends of ours let us park our travel trailer in their backyard while I was finishing up ministry at that one location and Kathy had already 
transition to uh, the other. Now, I could have parked, the, parked it at a campground, but this relieved us of a fi- financial uh, burden that we did not need to bear at that moment. And they also let us tap into their water, which cost them something, right? And they also let us, this, these are friends, let, us, let me drop into their drain field. <laughs> now that's a friend. I'm so grateful to Dan and Rhonda to this day for hosting us and having us stay. Minor, maybe to them, not to us. Sacrificial, absolutely. Can there be greater? Oh, yeah. But it was, it was beautiful. So, again, I ask you, when have you or your family received sacrificial hospitality? Have you reflected on it, remembered it, Let me ask this. Have you ever been surprised by hospitality given? I have at several different places in my life. And and you kind of wonder, how did they know? Where did it come from? I I think as followers of Jesus, this is one of our gifts and our tricks to the trade, if you will. One of those gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us as we're listening to those around us. We have the wonderful opportunity to listen in on their needs and what they have. They may say something, but it's kind of like in a flow of a conversation, and we have the wonderful opportunity to step into it. And maybe you're kind of discerned, hey, I'd like to do the same thing. Let me just give you this quick tip. Well, there's actually a couple. Ask God. Ask God to give you eyes to see the needs around you and a heart of compassion to respond as he directs. I think it's often that we see, see the things around us, but the heart of compassion that he has is far greater than sometimes our wallets want to go or our time wants to go. We're going to get to that in a second. We need to be listening. While Paul and his shipmates were being guests on the island, they came with very little physically. We know this, right? I mean, they washed up on shore. I mean, how would you like that? Holding on to a piece of the ship, just kind of, you know, that's all you have. But that's not all they had. That's the key. See, hospitality is supernatural. Did you know that? When it's coming from a follower of Jesus, it's supernatural. And I know, this is kind of a big word for just kind of following Jesus. But as followers of Jesus, we're co-heirs with him. Now, hear me. And we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and deputized to do what he did. Scares some of us. Should energize us opportunity. Listen, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official on the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. We already heard that. His father was sick in bed, suffering from a fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him. Now, check this out. There's nothing magical about this. There's nothing magical or grand or, or outrageous Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this happened, verse 9 and 10, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways and when they were ready to sail, they furnished us with supplies we needed. So Paul was a guest of Publius' generosity for three days. For what reason? Paul knew just as we know, 
to make friends and influence people. Well, okay, Dale Carnegie said that, I guess. But not too far off, right? To influence people in the way of Jesus. What we did not read, and some of you were there, that Paul shakes off a snake, they think he's a god. He, I don't know how this happens or flows into that, but maybe they still thought he was a god after he healed all these people. But what Paul does is shares Jesus and the desire to heal those who are sick, to bring them into wholeness in God. We are commissioned as followers to do what Jesus did. Jesus prayed for the sick and sick are healed. All of them? No. But we're called to pray for the sick that they may be healed. We too are commissioned to pray over them. There are many, myself included, about this passage of Scripture believe that the sick were healed and there were a throng of people left following Jesus. I mean, in fact, some, some believe that this is really the introduction of Christianity on the island of following Jesus. When we, when we act as we're commissioned to in the authority of Jesus, we have the wonderful opportunity, whether we're a guest or a host, to invite people into the divine welcome of God when we act this way. In fact, what we do, and this is what happens with Paul, he brings them into a, a flourishing that they had never experienced before. We are to bring people to that place. The Holy Spirit does the other work. What I love about this section of scripture is that prayer was not an automatic, that prayer was an automatic response to the need that was there. I mean, Paul just said, hey, let's just pray. Now, Paul may have known that he had a gift of healing. And you may say, I don't have the gift of healing. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to pray for the sick. We're called to pray over situations. We're called to pray over relationships. Prayer meetings on Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. are wonderful. Can I just tell you that? There is this time set aside to pray for requests that you give to us on the connection card from emails and phone calls, uh, from our own requests that are meeting, those in our community, in our country, in our world. But this is what happens. So when I share a request within the group, or I'm in other places, but in this place, there's just something wonderful that transpires. The whole idea that somebody is going to pray, not on their behalf and in their name, they have no power, but they're going to pray on behalf, on my behalf, bringing God's name and his design and desire to bear on mine. There's something wonderful that transpires. It, it, at times, it, it's encouraging and simply that. At other times, it, it's healing. At other times, there's this place where God just works his way and kind of goes, hey, you need to deal with that, right? But beauty is displayed when we, when we're, when we do what God has called us to do, is we're commissioned to do those things, to pray for people, not impart our wisdom, but pray for them and ask that God would do that. So let me ask you, you can think about this later. What do you experience when you're prayed for? So if it's anything close to my experience, and maybe it's not, I understand that. I want you to work through this. Then wouldn't you want to give that away to somebody else? Wouldn't you want them to be invited into that opportunity of hospitality by the, the divine host of all? 
and experience this invitation to restoration of the beauty of Jesus' kingdom brought near to me when I'm prayed for and over. Whether it's the healing of the mind or the soul or my heart. When I rest in that, I'm, I receive it. So what greater gift could you give to somebody than to pray for them? It's not the least, it's, it's the best. See, hospitality is this grace to be given. We often think about hospitality as a table that we've set in our home or we invite somebody to and we want to have happen. But hospitality is this, is this mindset that we have as followers of Jesus that we carry into the world that we want to not only not to be host, but we want to be invited to so that we can share the divine welcome of God to those around us. But I'm afraid that many of us think that hospitality is a one-way street. Still. That it's this idea that I need, to, I need to have somebody in my home, on my time, in my space. And can I just share with you maybe a few reasons why we are like that? Again, our culture has a lot to bear. It's I think it's, it's one, we, we like to be in control, right? When, when we go to somebody else's house, there's things that we might not like to eat. We may not even agree with the way they're doing life. We definitely don't want to get caught because we're on their time and their dime in conversations that, that we're really far off from. Politics, religion, you name it. These days, it can be anything, right? And can I just say as Westerners, as Americans, relinquishing control is very, very difficult for us. But can I also point out that when we do relinquish our control and allow God to do what he does in the midst, there are some dramatic things that happen because we see this illustrated over and over again with Jesus. Jesus doesn't have people come to his house. He goes to their house. He allows them to bring up what's on their mind, maybe what they've been talking about before, but he allows them to bring up what's on their mind, on their heart. And for some odd reason, people like that. All right, that was a little smarty. All right. Oh. Hospitality. Hospitality. We like to be in control. We don't like the unknown. But can I just challenge you? You probably, you, some of you will be hosting Thanksgiving, you'll be hosting Christmas, you'll be hosting other things. Maybe, just maybe, and accept the invitation to be in a place, in a space where you're not in control. Allow God to do what he wants to do. This is, this is what I think the Lord has been, was speaking to me about uh, probably not only my experience, but maybe yours. There's this quote by Samuel Johnson. It says this, in a com uh, commercial country, a busy country, time becomes precious and hospitality is not so much valued. It's an 18th century quote, folks. Let me repeat that again. In a commercial country, a busy country, time becomes precious and hospitality is not so much valued. I, I get it. This could be a, a dangerous place for me to travel in the next few minutes. 
But could it be that we're out of pace with God? That if we're not finding ourselves in these places and spaces where we're able to be guest and host, inviting people into divine, uh, divine welcome of God that is not planned and purposed and intentioned by us. I have a couple of suggestions, a couple of theories, maybe. I think our calendars are too full. I think our calendar's too full. I believe in this, this, uh, this leadership uh, statement that I picked up a few years ago, less is more. Less is more. I, I just believe that our calendars are way too full. We planned ourselves out of opportunities, spaces and places where people kind of go, hey, would you like to? And we go, oh, I can't, right? And it follows in suit with this because we're part of this culture we live in. We're walking way too fast, and sometimes that's literal, but I mean that more figuratively. We have too many things that are causing us to go so fast that we, I don't know, I don't know. Instead of like anticipating that God's going to fill those spaces with opportunities. As they, Paul just kind of washed up on the shore, right? I mean, I get it. It was happening to him. But is there something bad about that? Hmm. Maybe not. So let me ask a couple of questions. Less is more. Uh, what does your candle calendar look like? Is it too full? Or it could be the other for some of us. It just may be your calendar is too empty. It's too empty. Meaning you're not giving yourself into some public spaces and marketplaces where you can have these wonderful opportunities, right? But when we are given hospitality, as was demonstrated in Acts 28, as we see in Romans even 16, this hospitality, we have this natural response within us. I think that's when we're healthy and we're right and we're with it. And when I mean healthy, right, and with it, I mean we're Godward. You know, we're, we're exuding love. We want to live in this love. We want to pay it forward. We want to live in that space and that place where we can pay hospitality forward in some way, shape, or form. And I think that there's a balance here. That's what I'm bringing to you, is that less is more, whether it's your calendar or pace or whatever that may be, but there's this, there's this desire when we give space that we want to do it, so we want to pay it forward. I love what Paul says in Romans 13, before he gets to Romans 16. He says this, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So I may be at the end of this message is really the question is, are you giving enough space to love? Are you giving enough space to love? Or there's another question I think that Andy Stanley has kind of come up with, and I think that's where I picked it up, is what, what does love require me, require of me? To live in a space where we're gratefully living and we have wonderful opportunities to have long lists of people we can go, hey, greet them, because they were hospitable to me. Love on them, kiss them, because they were hospitable to me. 
Ah, that we would live in this space and place where there's this, we can sense the presence of God moving us from one thing to the next, not a force that's outside of God himself. That's why even earlier when I pray, Lord, fix our eyes on Jesus. He's not only the author and perfecter of our faith, but he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way that as we walk with him, he shows us and demonstrates the way. May that be so of us. So consider hospitality as you walk in to these next, well, month and a half in a different way. It's okay to be out of, out of control or not in control of the situation. It allows us to more deeply depend on Jesus, but also to give away the love that he has so readily given to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the divine invite and welcome that we have had